Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast, interviews exploring stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in social impact, healthcare, and health tech, and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hatton, and this week I'm joined by Issa Dasu Patel, the co-founder and CEO of Connect Care. Connect Care is a UK-based startup that uses tech to track prescriptions for elderly patients and their carers. Supported by Innovate UK, their founding team brings together a combined 20 years of deep industry expertise at the intersection of digital health, pharmacy, and the often neglected social care industry. Through working with NHS partners across the country to roll out trials of its prescription tracking tech, they have a mission to make medicines management and access easier for patients and the people who care for them. Issa is a graduate of Oxford and Harvard universities and founded Connect Care in 2021 with business partner Methods, having since raised 1.4 million pounds in funding to date. In this episode, we talk adherence as a dirty word, how chaos and turmoil can create opportunity, and why moving fast and breaking things doesn't always work for healthcare. Let's get started. So Issa, you've had a very varied background from what I can see. Can you tell me about yourself and your journey that essentially led to where you are now? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Grace. Um, I think definitely a varied background is one way to put it. Um, I like to call myself a generalist um, and I've kind of been on a very up and down journey to get to where I am today. Um, my journey actually started in medical school. Um, but I only lasted about one month. until <laughs> um, he complete pivot um, and went to um, Oxford University, where I did philosophy, politics and economics, which is a classic degree for someone that doesn't know what they want to do. Um, and then I went to the US and studied for a bit there as well. And then again, still not knowing what I wanted to do, went into management consulting, which is a career for people that don't know what they want to do. So um, yeah, started my journey management consulting. Um, I did a lot of work initially in financial services for banks, insurers, regulators and, and government. Um, and I was kind of never really satisfied with the work I was doing there. Um, I'm not really someone that thrives off helping big banks and insurers keep their balance sheets uh, positive. <laughs> There's more to life than that, in my opinion. Um, not that they're doing great work themselves as well. So I um, you know, started looking at other things I wanted to do. I was really fortunate that um, during the time I was at Oliver Wyman, the management consulting house I was at, they landed um, the COVID strategy framework for NHS Digital. Um, so that was to do all of their kind of digital and data strategy for various programs, everything from vaccinations to the COVID app to COVID oximetry at home and virtual wards, which for those of you that have been watching the news recently, will be seeing lots of stuff about remote monitoring and virtual wards, which is very much the, the world I was in. So um, I was the digital and data advisor for that project. Um, I ended up doing that for a year. So I worked um, directly with um, NHS Digital's associate director, as well as the chief medical officer at the time. Um, it was really interesting work for me. And that's when I kind of started to realize that I found my calling in life, uh, which is very much in health and care. I also come from a family background of health and care. Um, so my family run a large kind of pharmacy services provider focused on people in care and nursing homes. So you know, both the pharmacy world um, was, has always been very close to my heart, as well as kind of um, healthy aging and social care. And then with all the digital health work I was seeing, that's really when my journey with Connect Care began. And I kind of thought, how do I bring all of these worlds together um, of digital health and social care and um, pharmacy and kind of connect care was born out of that a year and a few months ago well before we get into connect care i think i think i've got to address for the sake of our listeners you were very self-deprecating then and said you know you went for it to america for a bit to do some studying um it was harvard university you went to right yeah i was um, <laughs> just, just America for a bit to, to learn um but yeah very impressive cv very interesting pivots as you mentioned so um delving more into connect care can you tell me 
for sort of a lay audience, someone that maybe doesn't work in healthcare, what does it do and who is it targeted at? Yeah, this is often the hardest question to answer. <laughs> but um, I would say to, to anyone listening to this, think about either yourself um, and if you've taken medicine before, or think about family member, often loved one. People, whenever I tell people what we do and explain what we do, they always say, oh, I have grandma or granddad that um, takes lots of medicines and I can really see how this would help them. So think about once you got your medications from the pharmacy, you've walked out from the pharmacy, whether you've gone there physically or it's come through the post, what happens next? You know, you're trying to figure out how to manage your medicines. You don't really know why you're on them. You often don't have the right support for them. Or if you're someone supporting someone else, you yourself don't have the confidence to understand the medication enough to support someone. And so fundamentally, what we do at Connect Care is we give people confidence to make the most of the medicines. And when I say make the most of medicines, that's everything from managing them. So knowing which ones to take and when to understanding them, you know, why are you even taking this medication? How does it affect your wider health and care? How is it making you feel? And really engaging with your medicines in that in that way where it's really per- personalized and all about bringing you to the forefront of that medication. Because I think historically in the world of health and care, medicines has always been very institutionalized. There's this idea that we, the doctor, have prescribed you this medication and therefore you need to take it. And if you don't, we'll give you a slap on the wrist and we'll tell you you need to take it. But actually increasingly we're seeing, and that's not just in the medicine space, in health and care more broadly, people are wanting to take control and ownership over their health and care. And fundamentally, that has to come from the information and ownership over that information about their medications. And that's kind of what we've been doing at Connect Care. So more concretely, what we actually do is we kind of have an offering currently is targeted on older people and those that are in care, um, which we call the Digital Medicines Program, which is all about designing a program to help the medicines work for that person. And so we have kind of smart devices um, so these are smart pill boxes, smart medication boxes that remind and prompt you to take your medication against the schedule that you yourself set for your medications based on obviously your, what your doctor might have recommended. It's up to you to decide what the schedule is for you. And we track over time how that person is interacting with their medication. So is mum opening her medication box at the time she normally does? Is something unusual about her routine? And we use that data to then encourage more human conversations about the medication. So the carers might then have a conversation with you about your medication to say, hi, Grace, we've noticed your routine is dropping over the past few days. What's going on? And we have digital check-ins that our software can allow them to, to send you a simple SMS web form or in the future, WhatsApp and robocall messaging as well. Particularly a lot of older people don't use apps and are not native to apps. So we've designed everything to be really simple and work within the existing technologies that people already use. So you can check in with that person and ask them how they're feeling, what side effects they're having, how do they believe their medication is making them feel, to try and uncover what is happening and driving that behavior for that person fundamentally to then provide them better support. If that means de-prescribing the medication, then great. And in terms of your competitor landscape, what is it that you feel in particular differentiates Connect Care from competitors within this space? I think it's the angle we're coming in from. Um, you know, you can Google on the App Store medication manager. Often people try to put us in the medication management bucket, which I think is so narrow and, and not at all what we just focus on. But you Google medication management on the App Store. There are so many apps, and I'm sure you'll know from your time as a clinician as well, there are so many apps that people use to manage their medications. You can also now do it on the iOS health um, feature. But what these apps do is they're all about tracking. They're all about reminding and prompting and nagging. And the reason they've done that is because they've come from a perspective that the problem with medications is what's called adherence. But adherence in and of itself 
I think is a very dirty word because adherence, like I said, it has that connotation that we have prescribed you this thing that we think you should do. But actually it doesn't capture the real complexity of this issue when it comes to digital, when it comes to medicines and making sense of them and taking them. And that's what we kind of say, and this is grounded in a lot of research we've done. I'm really fortunate as a company, we're backed by the government's in a um, healthy aging fund to do an extensive research and design project, looking at this problem and really understanding what is driving behavior behavioral medicines. And that's what we kind of use, we tend to use the word optimization. This is really about making the medicines work for you. And that goes so much. And the minute you have that narrative shift, that mindset shift, it's no longer about nagging and reminding and prompting, but it's actually about how do you facilitate a real human conversation about those medications using digital technology? And I suppose given that you're predominantly based in the UK, as far as I understand, um, in many ways you do have this captive audience because pretty much all doctors prescribe on the NHS with a small percentage of private prescriptions being dispensed and then other things such as veterinary and so on. Um, but I'm curious to know sort of how did you um, go about getting your first customer? Was it approaching the NHS per se? Was it approaching individual pharmacies? And, and how do you work with that sort of going forward in your, in your business model? Yeah, really good question. Um, so we started off um, in social care. Um, and the main reason for that is historically, the the world in which the UK or England, England's health and care system is built is that medication management and supporting people with their medicines was largely seen as the responsibility of social care. But I think it's no surprise to anyone listening to this that our health and care system is quite broken in the sense that it's incredibly siloed. But we have a system where GPs feel um, see their responsibility of medication being the prescribing part, Pharmacies see it as the dispensing part. And then beyond that point, nobody really knows what's happening. And what that has done, it's come at the cost of a lot of older people's independence and lives. And so we wanted to start with that cohort of people, which are the most vulnerable people in our society. They are people that need that support and are currently not getting it in the right format. And so we started with that cohort, even though, yes, it is the most complex group of people you could work with to try to embed digital technology with. Yes, it might not be the kind of sexiest market to go after from an investor perspective, but fundamentally, that's where the real need is from from the perspective of the person. So we worked with local authorities, and they have the responsibility for social care in this country. Um, but as we've grown, um, the integrated care systems have also recently been formed, which uh, for those that are not from a health and care audience, integrated care systems are the kind of population health boards, health and care boards that have been created in our country to deliver more joined up care. And we're really fortunate that we got our first contract with the Lancashire and South Cumbria integrated care system to look at how we can support people with mental health conditions to become more independent with their medications. That for us has been an incredible piece of work because what we've really learned about this is actually the work we've been doing, the, the conversation, the narrative we've been trying to create in this industry has been validated because a lot of the people that came onto this um, this pathway that were referred in, the ingoing view of the clinical teams was that these people don't have the ability or willingness to want to manage their own medications. They don't really care about their medications. That was very much the perception. But actually what we learned from the digital check-ins we were doing with these people, and I, I use the term people because these are people, these are not patients, these are not service users, these are fundamentally people. And the minute we start treating them like people and stop treating them like patients in institutional care or service users as though they're, they're kind of addicted to drugs, um, we start to realize that this is how we address this complex problem. And what was really interesting for us is we realized the real value in what we were doing 
wasn't in the reminding, tracking, et cetera, which I've spoken about earlier, but it was really about bringing the voice of that person to the table in a way that had never been done before. And for the first time, when you bring the voice of that person to the table, when that person is constantly telling you, I am not taking this pill because I don't like the way it tastes, or I'm not taking this pill because I feel it's making me feel more anxious, or I'm, or I'm seeing my pill talking to me and telling me things I don't want to hear. That's a clear red flag to, to a health and care professional that actually this person needs support in this particular way with their medications. And it's not about just going in, administering the medication, ticking on a chart. We've done that. And it's really helped to change the narrative and actually drive cultural change in the region. What's been really exciting for us is that the, um, the head of mental health services from the local authority approached and said, we think what you guys have done in the last three months has been so incredible that we now want to roll this out and think about how we use this in a more preventative way. But those people that are in their own homes right now that aren't in hospitals, in and out of hospital, we want to stop them from getting there. We actually want to bring their voice to the table and drive a whole shift in the way which we think about medicines and care more generally. Um, that for us was really exciting to kind of see how these things that our research has shown and our kind of early work has shown is now being um, used to drive systematic change across the region and hopefully soon nationally. Well, it all sounds really positive. So um, apologies for slightly playing devil's advocate, but I just wondered, given what you said about, and I know this from personal experience as well and professional experience, um, that a lot of our health and social care institutions uh, are siloed in this country. And so I wondered whether you'd encountered any pushback at all, because you're obviously having to deal with multiple different organisations, even though it comes under the umbrella of the NHS, and whether that, that's been pushback from patients that maybe would rather be told what to do, um, or from carers that aren't comfortable using your technology, or even top-down organisations, as well as all the positive feedback you've had as well. I just wondered whether that was a challenge you'd come up against. Yeah, I think um, I would be lying. And I think everyone listening to this would know I'm lying if I said there have been no challenges. Uh, the challenges have been big. Um, and they're definitely, definitely ones that merit a lot of discussion and investigation. Um, generally, the challenge we found hasn't come from the people themselves, interestingly. Because if you design something around people, for people and with people, the value is created for that person, for them to want to continue engaging with. This is like an iPhone, right? Why do people continue using their iPhones even though they know that they're addicted to them? Because you know they see real value in constantly using this technology. And so we've always been really careful and, and conscious to ensure that we design everything around the person. And every single thing, even if it's the carer, something that's for the carer to use, ultimate value has to be for the end person. Which means for the person, the challenges aren't huge. Um, and a lot of our technology, as I mentioned earlier, is very inclusive. It doesn't rely on apps that you have to download and manually input and tell us lots of things about you. It's using kind of passive technology and, and what we call unobtrusive technology that sits at the back end and sits invisibly. But there has been pushback and, and challenges um, in adopting this from the actual workforce. Um, you know, we, we have a great health and care workforce in this country, but they're under immense, immense strain. And at the same time, the digital maturity of our system is very, very low compared to other industries and compared to other countries. So we, whilst we have a workforce that is very good at caring, very good at delivering care, they might lack the confidence when it comes to digital technology um, and adopting new models of care. And we actually found that a lot of the carers, for example, because they themselves didn't see value in what we were doing besides the value for the person, it doesn't make their lives any easier. 
their willingness to engage with it was quite low compared to, for example, what a commission might have thought. The reality on the ground was often quite different. And so what we realized actually when it comes to digital technology in this space, the value has to be created, yes, for the person, but you have to be able to find a way to articulate that value to the carer and to the workforce and make them understand that, yes, whilst technology might create a little bit of burden in the short term, it's with the view that in the long term, it will free up significant capacity for them and really free them up to do what human hands can only do, um, which one of our customers in Oxford always refers to as the technology in this space should be used to free up hands to do what only human hands can do. And the minute we start to change our mindset around that, we start to kind of change the way in which we do things. But that is a huge challenge that not neither I nor any other innovator in this space is going to be tackle, um, being able to be able to solve by ourselves. I think it does require a whole systematic overhaul and rethink in the way which we think about health and care. Um, and that's a challenge that's probably far bigger than um, you and I. Well, speaking of challenges, what would you say is the scrappiest thing that you've had to do for the business? The scrappiest thing that I personally have had to do or we as a business have had to do? Or both. Both. I think... Um, I think it goes back to the kind of challenges I talked about around, um, you know, the workforce lacking confidence and, and the ability, willingness to kind of implement technology at scale. Um, you know, in, in one of our projects, um, one of our team members, uh, Rachel, who oversees our kind of service and operations, sometimes we'll just go out and do the actual technology piece and the service piece associated with that herself. So instead of relying on the carer, for example, to fill out a form. Rachel will just go out to the person's home and help them fill in the form because we know that actually that's the best way to learn from people on the ground and actually observe what's happening. Why are the carers not filling in these forms? Is it that the form is really difficult to fill out? Is it that the technology is really hard to use? Or is it they lack the confidence and that ability and we need to upskill them? So actually it's that co, co-design or co-production that we've, in a way, is, is, a, is quite scrappy because it means you're just kind of driving up and down the country, <laughs> helping individual people um, in the short term, especially as we're building out our product. Um, and that's just a mindset we've adopted from day one. So we kind of always hire people that even if they've been hired in a strategic role, they have to be willing to get their hands dirty and be on the ground because we are in an industry where change is difficult and it's going to take a whole generation to make a real lasting change in health and care. And that requires that kind of can-do attitude, which a lot of people are not kind of willing to do in this industry or in tech generally. But I think in, in this industry, you just have to, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind. And perhaps in the same vein as getting your hands dirty, what would a typical workday look like for you if such a typical workday existed? Well, if any, if today's anything to go by, it's incredibly chaotic. <laughs> um, so today, for example, I spent the morning um, clearing my email backlog, which is always fun and games on a Friday. Um, I've had calls with our press and PR agency. We've had a huge influx of um, PR stuff going out this week, um, given some funding that we just received from the government. And obviously with um, a few projects going live as well, through na- through a few nationally funded projects going live in Oxford, we've had some really good press um, coverage around that. So I've been on the phone with our press agency. Um, I actually caught up with an old friend from school today, which was really nice, um, kind of more outside of work. It was really interesting to see kind of the journey he's been, he's been on as well uh, and what he's up to in life. Um, and then we're recording this podcast now. Then I have a call with... Um, around our funding and just kind of review where we are with the funding as a company. And then I'm interviewing someone later this evening for a new role we're hiring. So, so yeah, uh, a very chaotic day, lots of um, content switching and moving around and jumping around, but it's, I guess, the life of a CEO. And what can we expect within sort of the next 12 to 24 months from Connect Care? 
I think you can expect um, in a way more of the same um, of trying to kind of change the, the narrative around digital medicines, around medicines generally. And um, we're embarking on some really exciting partnerships um, with some people who are, again, kind of share that mindset that we do and are building some really interesting new models of care, um, particularly around the healthy aging space. Um, so that's going to be really interesting for us because it also allows us to expand our reach outside of those in the formal care system and really reach a much, much wider population of people that are already independent. We want to maintain that independence. So we're going to be doing a lot of work in that space, um, kind of targeting and working with people that are not necessarily in that formal care system. And there is an open question as a company right now as to whether we become a pharmacy or not as well, because what we've realized is that a lot of the work we do could be done by pharmacies, but the reality is pharmacies are incredibly stretched right now. Their margins are very low um, from a business perspective. And they're also not willing to provide value-add services often. Your independent high street pharmacy might, but a lot of these new large pharmacy players we're seeing, their main kind of focus is how do we deliver drugs as quickly as possible to people? But the reality is, and I'm sure you'll know from your pharmacy days, pharmacies do so much more than that. Pharmacies are the a cornerstone and a pillar of our communities and deliver they deliver value-add services. They are here to provide services. Pharmacists, for a lot of people, and during the pandemic, were the only clinicians that were even willing to see people physically, whilst GPs were behind closed doors and seeing people on virtual consultations. Pharmacies kept their doors open for every single person in this country to walk into and receive the care they needed. And what really baffles me is why pharmacy hasn't been front and center of driving this transformation we're seeing in health and care and why our policymakers and our leaders and our funders are not involving pharmacy more closely. And so I think with what we've built, and we found a way to commercialize this ourselves without the need for the formal system to create a completely new kind of pharmacy that speaks to this population that works for the wider population of people struggling with their medications is what I think we will end up building over the next year or two. And maybe then finally the system will start to take pharmacies more seriously. Very exciting stuff. Um, Slightly different line of questioning, but what do you think personally has been the biggest contributor to your success? Um, That's a a tough question. (laughs) I think that the people that I have have surround myself with both in a personal capacity uh, and actually it's something I was talking to my um, old school friend about as well today because he you know, he took a very different career and, and life trajectory to me so he chose not to go to university straight after school which at the time everyone thought he was crazy it's like what is he doing like he's not going to university um, and you know obviously I went to Oxford and then Harvard which I guess is you know in the academic world is seen as some of the top universities in the world And we took very different life routes. And actually, when we were catching up today, we both realized that what has shaped the past, and he's been incredibly successful in his life. And it's been really great to see how he's kind of matured as a person and and his drive for growth and and self-growth. He's surrounded himself by people and he's constantly put himself outside his comfort zone to meet people and live in places that he could never have foreseen. And to have both arrived at the same conclusion, actually the people you surround yourself with and choose to spend your time with will be the ones that drive your success forward, which is why even at Connect Care, our recruiting strategy has been, we say we hire for skills, not roles, um, which is we don't say, oh, I need to hire a salesperson. I say, okay, right now we're growing really quickly. Um, we've got lots and lots of customers and we've got lots of interest from the industry. So we need support in scaling up what we're doing, in implementing what we're doing, in speaking to other customers someone who can really build relationships with people. So actually what that means is we hire people 
from completely different backgrounds who have kind of had a career trajectory that might be like mine or like like my friends from school. It doesn't really matter what journey you've been on as long as that journey speaks towards self-growth and self-improvement because we're a young company and we are constantly changing. And what we do today is very different to what we did six months ago and what we'll probably do in six months' time. When you hire the skills and when you hire smart people who have that drive towards self-growth, when you make those changes, those people stay with you and they continue driving value and creating value um, both within the business and in the society. Would you do anything differently if you were to start all over again? Would I do anything differently? <laughs> um, I think I do a lot of things differently. Um, I would probably, I, I'm naturally in the way I am, I'm quite like a go, go, go person and build, 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 grow, grow, grow. Um and I think in hindsight, in our first year, so we're just over a year old now, we probably tried to do too much too quickly um, instead of actually focusing on what what is our core, what is the core thing we're trying to do and rebuild really out that, scale that, succeed within that, and then do other things from there. Um, so it, it, did, it did take me a little bit of resetting over the past three months to take a step back and say, look, we've achieved a lot. It's been a year. We've achieved a lot together as a team. We're a team now of 13 people, three more joining us. We've got a great team. We've got enough people to build a great business. Let's now really focus on what are we good at? What are the skills we have? What are the skills we don't have? And actually build from there. Um, So in hindsight, I probably would have gone a little bit slower. Um, That being said, I don't regret what we've done. I think we've built some great relationships within the industry as well now, which sets us up for our future really well. But it's just now being a bit more conscious of that, being a bit more focused in the way in which we work and what we work on. I think that's really interesting because that's the antithesis of the uh, move fast and break things motto that I think was born out of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, And it's interesting that you said that because I feel that that kind of attitude is quite commonplace in the tech and startup world, but not necessarily mm. applicable to something like healthcare, where obviously the risks are invariably higher. What, what would you what would you say to that? Would you agree? Or yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I actually once wrote a LinkedIn post about this, and I'm sure it wasn't very well received by the um, institutional investor landscape, as well as most startup founders in health and care. I kind of wrote that people that go and raise um, silly amounts of money to go and quickly build something in healthcare, only for it to flop in a year's time, should be put behind bars. Um, because the reality is these are people's lives that you're playing around with. The, the, this is not uh, this is not someone like you or I that's living, I don't know if you live in central London or London, there's someone living in a city um, and wants to get their groceries as quickly as possible. Um, you know, and who cares if their groceries don't arrive on time? This is someone's life, right? And these are vulnerable people, especially when it comes to older people, especially when it comes to people that are in care. These are some of the most vulnerable people in our society. And the minute you are trying to build something for them, you have a moral responsibility to make sure you're building in a way that you are sustainable and you're building in a way that actually delivers value and works for them. And the minute you're pulling that rug from underneath them, you are risking their lives. And and that's not a risk that I think anyone should be taking um, in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. You just made me think with your analogy there about groceries, if you you place an online grocery order and it turns up and you've got substitutions fine, you can kind of cope with that. It doesn't work if you're trying to sub-medication. Um, exactly. And I think given some of your experience of pharmacy and mine as well, you know, that unfortunately that that can and does happen and it's an enormous incident. Um, it's not something that can be dismissed as, oh, it's a 
it's a learning point or it's a growing pain. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, great teething issue. You know, how do we iterate and fail fast from here? <laughs> and, you know, it's not like you can, for example, then go into your local pharmacy and, and say to them, oh, so I ordered my drugs off this online pharmacy and they haven't arrived. Um, would you be able to give me one? It's like, well, no, your prescription already been dispensed. You know, you're, you're lost. And by that point, you're lost in the system. Is there any other advice that you would give to would-be business founders then, aside from what we've sort of covered here? I think seek opportunity. You know, opportunity is all around us. We live in a time of complete chaos and turmoil, um, but chaos and turmoil creates opportunity. It creates opportunity to do things differently because the very reason we're in this chaos and turmoil is because we have done things the same way for far too long and we've been complacent and we've gotten used to the way things are, but actually the world around us is rapidly changing and some people are at the forefront of changing that and I would say join them. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Founders Keepers and if you have, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using. Be sure to tune in next time for another Founders Story.